We are going to go to Numbers chapter 10. So if you have uh, your Bible, Numbers chapter 10 is where we're going to be. We're going to finish out chapter 10 and get into chapter 11 today, just a, a few verses into chapter 11. As I begin, I want to reassure all those of you who I traumatized last week by dumping out a puzzle that I have no puzzles with me today. I've never seen such a reaction from, a, from an illustration as, as that. So I am glad that, that everybody was paying attention, that even with daylight savings time, that you were just right there with me, which was a cool thing. But I want to talk about some, another delicate topic today. Uh, first of all, church is a no-shame zone, right? Church ought to be a no-shame zone. <laughs> my shame has been taken away by, by my Lord, right? So this should, we're not trying to make anybody feel bad, but let's talk about something that all of us are familiar with. In our world today, it is a, a rather common thing for people to do uh, these two things together. Uh, it shouldn't be, but it is. Text and drive. I don't know how hard it is for us to get that this is dangerous, but it's dangerous for us to do these two things together. I'm not going to talk about texting in church or using your phone in church. You know, that's a whole other topic. Uh, there may be some application to this, to that. But I know you have your Bible on your phone, so that's fine. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying some of the same ideas apply here. Texting and driving, six times more likely to cause an accident than while driving drunk. Is that incredible? 1.6 million accidents per year. One out of every four accidents in the U.S. is caused by texting and driving. And the thing about it is you, there is a 400% increase in the time spent with your eyes off the road when you are engaged in texting while driving. And that's the problem, isn't it? Isn't that the issue? You are doing something, but your eyes are not on the road. It's not that it's evil to respond or reply to someone. The point is that there is more important stuff for your eyes to be on than what you've directed your eyes to. And because your eyes are not on what's of higher importance, there are consequences. Financial, sometimes physical, emotional, all kinds of things that come out of our eyes not staying on the road. But driving and texting is not the only place in our life where our eyes get off of what really matters where our eyes are distracted from the more important stuff. We do it in life all the time. Have you ever gone through a season of life where you've been just consumed by something and it, it keeps you up at night, it wakes you up in the morning, it's on you all day long, and then when you come out of that season, when it resolves either for the good or for, for the worse, you pick your head up and you realize that you missed something during those moments that you really wish you hadn't missed. Maybe it's time with family or, or an event in your children's life or just some joys that, that you missed out on because you were focused somewhere else and you missed some of the cool stuff that you, got, you were invited to enjoy. Our careers can do this. We can get wrapped up in our job. Take, and so often, our careers and our jobs take the best of our attention and energy and they leave just leftovers for the more important stuff in our life. I know we're all human beings and we all get tired and I get that. I get that we have to, to work to live and all that stuff. But there, is, there should be a tension in us about I want something, I want some of the best of me for my friends, for my spouse, 
for my kids. Worry can do this, get our eyes off of what's important, fixing our minds on all the what-ifs and missing so much of what the actually is. Hurt can do that by taking that, our attention away from other things by pain and making everything feel like it is all just a big lump of loss. I really think this past year has created all kinds of new ways for us to be distracted from what actually matters, from what we're actually here for, into all kinds of other stuff. And it's not that it's not fun to talk about this stuff or that we shouldn't talk about this stuff. It's that do you recognize how quickly something that is a side issue or not even an issue I can do anything about becomes the issue of topic and conversation and the issue that consumes me. So, believers, how do we keep our eyes on the road? There are so many things that aren't even evil, but they pull our attention away from what actually brings life and hope. From living in our birthright, There are a lot of things that are offered to us that are actually wrong, but they seem too good to resist. Pulling our eyes away from what's actually good to what promises to be good, but isn't. As a believer, it is a challenge not to let our spiritual eyes wander and to let our lives start drifting off course because we're not paying attention to what's actually important. In Numbers 10, we see Moses do something And it's said to be done every single time that they move as a nation. And then, beginning of chapter 11, we see the Israelites complaining about how hard their lives are. So what's this have to do with us? I think it is a lesson in how to keep our eyes on the road. It isn't the whole gamut of it, but it shows us something about how we can keep our eyes on what's important and what happens when we refuse. So, how do we see what we need to? How do we see what's so easy to miss? How can you find God's hand in your life when everything in you believes that He's not doing anything? How can you see His work? And how important is it that you see? Start with me in uh, Numbers chapter 10, verse 33 down through the end of the chapter. It says this, So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place of rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day, and when they set out from the camp, whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. And whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Last week, we talked about Moses making an invitation to Hobab, one of his relatives, maybe perhaps his brother-in-law, to go with them. And and this is the next verse after the story, so we don't see Hobab's response. We kind of assume that he said yes, just because. It doesn't say he said no. So people imagined that he said yes, and and they moved on together in the... uh, the story here that Hobab just decided, okay, I will go with you. And now we see them start on their journey, start to move as they go. They set out from a place that they've been for almost a year, actually uh, at this point a little bit over a year. And as you can imagine, a group of a million to two million people deciding it's time to move or being instructed that it's time to move, 
This is a very big process. All of these tents getting packed up, the new tabernacle that they just built getting packed up. Everybody's starting to listen to the trumpets that they decided this is how we're going to know when it's time to go. And as you can imagine, it probably didn't go very smoothly. There were probably a lot of frustration. There's probably a lot of upsetment as they sort out, what do we do? You, know me, then them, then when, and then did you hear that trumpet? No, I don't think I did. And they're figuring it out as they start on this journey. Maybe a little bit like our current situations, having a large number of people try to sort out something difficult, something new, some struggle, some task is increasingly complex. And so you can imagine that as they set out, that they're figuring out how they're going to operate as they move through the wilderness as a nation. So God brings them on a short journey. It says it's three days. The Lord goes before him during three days. They travel for three days. Maximum of like 40 to 50 miles, maybe like more like 30 miles. Not a small trip, but not what they've done from Egypt here to Mount Sinai. But then we get this detail that every time it says, whenever the ark set out, and then verse 36 is, whenever it came to rest. So it's every time that the cloud began to move, Moses said something. And every time the cloud began to settle down, indicating it's time to stop, Moses said something else. So the first time, the cloud starts to rise and move, and, and Moses says, rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. And the Israel's like, whoa, Moses, like caught up in the moment. Pretty cool. Yeah, good stuff. That's nice. And then the next day when the cloud gets moved, Moses says the same thing. Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your flows, foes flee before you. But didn't he say that yesterday? Is he said the same thing he said yesterday? And then the third day they're like, okay, Moses, we get it. Rise up, Lord. Every time the cloud comes to rest, he says the same thing. Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. And after a few times, Israel starts to get the sense that Moses is going to do this every time. Moses is going to say these same things over and over and over. Why did Moses say it? And why is it recorded for us that Moses said these things? Well, it falls in with something that I hope all of you as believers understand and know and are taking advantage of in places in your life. I call it the power of pattern. Moses is embracing the power of pattern in repeating truths about God when they go and when they stop. Truths that the people of God need to hold on to for the challenges and the fight, because if they don't hold on to them, if they're not intentional about it, they're going to forget. It's going to slip from their attention. It's going to wash away. I think many of us don't recognize how often this happens in our lives. You walk out the door in the morning to go to work or to go to school or to do your stuff, and all of a sudden, all of this stuff is assaulting you. And if you haven't embraced the power of a pattern, especially in this, in remembering who God is and what He does, the world is going to try to rip it off of you every single day. How much power is there in pattern? Well, Les, let me say this. Pattern takes small things and makes them huge. For example, there's not much power in one day of exercise, but there's power in a pattern, right? There's not much power in one moment of self-control, but there's power in a pattern. 
Deciding to forgive someone in one moment doesn't mean much unless that decision becomes a pattern where every time that hurt comes up, you decide to let it go again and again and again. Marriage vows, I say this a lot to to couples that are getting married. Marriage vows are awesome and cool, and marriage, the ceremony, is a wonderful reflection. But it doesn't mean much unless what you say turns into a pattern. The power of pattern. So Moses doesn't give a grand speech every time. As a matter of fact, there's some power in the smallness of it, the portability of it. Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. And then return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. The pattern here is that every time the cloud leads them, both to start and to stop, Moses says, look at God leading us. Israel, do you recognize that God is leading us? You're like, well, that's pretty obvious. There's a giant cloud. How hard is it to forget that God is leading you? I don't know. How hard is it for you to forget that you are blessed, that God has been good to you, that you have a hope and a future, that he watches over you, that he walks with? How hard is it for us to forget some obvious things? So before I go ridiculing Israel, duh, of course God's leading you. There's a giant cloud in front of you. Recognize that Moses pointing to it acknowledges the weakness of, of his people, acknowledges how hard it's going to be for them to stay on course. So they, he points it out over and over and over again. And as they go, he says, rise up, Lord. Look, look at God in front of us. Look at God leading us. Look how God is taking care of us. Come back. There are some things that Moses points out here that I think are really important. The first of those things is that when God leads us, he says to them, I want you to recognize not only is God leading us, not only is God guiding us, but God is protecting us. God's power is with us. Does anybody here need to remember that in your life? When you go out day by day into the things of your life, do you need to remember, do you need to find a way to hold on to the reality that God goes before you. And that in going before you, He goes out to fight your battles. That God is the one who is looking after you. God is the one who is not just directing your steps, but God is the one who is pouring strength into your life. Giving you the strength you need in the moments that you need it to rise up and meet the battle. We need to find some way to remember this. Moses did it by declaring as the cloud moved, God is going before us and he will scatter our foes right in front of him because he is powerful, because he's great, because he's good. How are you doing that? How are you remembering God's power for your life day by day by day? The other thing that, that Moses calls to mind as he, as he goes before them is that God is the one who knows the way. He is the one who knows what is, what is uh, in front of them, what is behind them, where they've been, where they're going. God is the one directing the steps of your life too. He is the one providing for you day in and day out. He is the one who knows where you should go and where you shouldn't go, what is safe and what is not safe. He is the one who knows. Then he says, when the, when the ark comes, when the cloud comes to rest over the ark, he says to them, return, Lord, return. 
to the countless thousands of Israel. What he's saying to them is, do you see that God is with you? Do you see that God gives you rest? Some of us need to remember that. How are you remembering that God is with you? And that God is the one who brings you rest. I think we need a system. I think we need something to tell us, to show us, to remind us. God goes before us. And God provides for us. And God protects us. And God gives us His power, His providence, and His presence. How are we doing that, guys? How do you do that in your life? Day by day, how do you do that in your life? Now, many times, even though we believe, even though we're children of God, even though God has been good to us, we forget. And that's what Israel does. So, down in chapter 11, verse 1, here's what it says. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. God has been good to us, hasn't he? God has watched over us and protected us and and shown us his goodness in hundreds and hundreds of ways. But sometimes we forget. And God will not let us forget. He will turn up the volume because we didn't hear it at a lower volume. Sometimes he does that by just pouring out more goodness. If we missed a little bit of goodness, chances are we also could miss a lot of goodness. If we haven't seen his hand in small things, sometimes it's hard for us to see them in big things too. Sometimes he will use a message that you, uh, uh, words or, or a concept that you hear over and over and over again. You hear somebody talking about it, then you hear it in a radio thing, then you read it in your devotions. And because you missed what God was trying to show you, you missed his work or his word in your life, he comes back to it again and again and again for you because he doesn't want you to miss it. But in this instance, the people of God basically threw away what God had told them. Basically what they said is, doesn't matter. We don't like the hardships that we are in. We don't like the way that this is hurting. This is struggling. This is hard for us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start murmuring about it. We're going to start complaining about it. The people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. What God did here is God turned up the volume, trying to wake them up to the reality of what they are doing and what they are saying. They are saying that God is not good. In spite of all the reminders that Moses is giving them about his protection, about his power, about his providence, about his presence, they are saying, God, why did you fail us? Why don't you care about us? Which is an awful thing to say to a God who rescued you from slavery and rescued you from the armies of of Egypt and provides for you every single day in the wilderness to now say, God, why don't you care about us? Why don't you help us? Can you imagine what that does to the heart of our Father whose heart is for us and towards us? Can you imagine? So it says God decides to find a way to wake them up. To wake them up to their 
lostness, to wake them up to the poison that is filling up their souls and their mind. God is going to work. And what He does is He opens up fire. Outside, on the outskirts of camp, He he brings a fire to the outskirts of camp. Now, we don't know, and it doesn't seem to indicate anything about the idea that anyone lost their lives here. It just seems to be a fire that's on the outskirts of camp. So we don't know exactly what happened, but we know this. God is trying to show them that they have missed something really important. God is giving them a warning, almost like the rumble strips that that are put in the road to try to help you understand where you are. And maybe if you're drifting off course because your eyes are off the road, maybe wake you up to the fact that you need to get back on course. In your life right now, maybe there's a trial or a struggle or a hardship. Maybe it's God trying to wake you up. Maybe you, you could talk about bad luck or this is just my life or this is the way it is. But what if it's the discipline of God? To say to you, you've been missing my goodness, you've been missing my love, you've been missing my protection, you've been missing my providence, you have no patterns in your life to try to hold on to them, and I'm trying to wake you up to the reality that I'm right here. Maybe the answer to some of our struggles is to simply come back to faith. The pattern. There are simple patterns that we can hold on to, that hold on to the goodness of God. Things like we do on Sunday morning at church when we sing together. That's a pattern. It's a pattern that refreshes our soul in the goodness of God. Things like before you eat, you bow your head and you say, Lord, thank you for what I am about to eat. There's a pattern to that. It should not just be a ritual. When I do that, what I'm doing is I'm embracing in my life the power of saying, I recognize the hand of God here. If you've been struggling to see the hand of God What are you going to do to pattern into your life the things about God's work that you've already seen, that you already know, and that you already acknowledge? Because God cares too much for you to let you keep forfeiting your birthright to live in joy and peace and hope. And sometimes He's going to set some fires in your life if it takes it for you to wake up and to turn back. And Israel does. Israel turns back. They don't learn from this, but they do turn from it. Verses 2 and 3, it says, when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Taborah, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Last thing about God's hand, God's work, seeing God's work. God's work is always connected to his mercy. Even his judgment is connected to mercy. Remember, God's work is his mercy and his grace towards us. Think about that. You know that, right? Personally, like I'm not saying theoretically, you know that God's work in your life comes from his mercy and grace, right? Because you didn't deserve his saving grace, did you? What you deserved is not what he gave you. And what you didn't deserve, that's what he gave you, right? So I know where God's work is. Where where was I before I knew Him? What was my destiny and what is it now? Over the course of my Christian life, how many times have I done things that grieved the Lord? That broke His heart? How many times have I forgotten things that I should have never forgotten? How many times have I just rebelled, turned my back and walked away? How many times have I become indifferent, numb, even just 
critical and complaining. And God remains faithful anyway. God's work is in His grace and mercy because it's who He is. He restores and He redeems every time I come back. Every time I come to my senses and return to Him, God does a work in His grace and mercy. So now Israel turns to God again in a right way. They turn away from complaints, away from even self-interest, and they stop grumbling against God. They already had enough to know better than to complain, but they needed this fire to wake them up to what they already knew. So if you're having a hard time seeing God's work in your life, pattern is a big deal. But maybe if you can't even figure out a pattern, because you have to start by making a choice, look in your life for places where God's mercy and grace is evident. Places where you did not get the fallout of the things that you did that you deserved. And instead, look for places where God has given you stuff that's good that you did not earn, that you could not have earned, just ways that God has blessed you. They actually tried to learn from this, giving this place a name, Tabera. They tried to say, let's remember That fire broke out from the Lord here because we complained, because we stopped remembering the goodness of God and we started focusing on the hard times. Doesn't it seem like we don't need any pattern to pick up the bad stuff? We don't need any plan. It's just, here it is. Here's all the bad stuff we can complain about. What we want is the good stuff, and that takes pattern. That takes intentionality. So we need to remember both God's blessing and we need to remember the lessons that God teaches us pain. And so I'm passionate about God's people seeing God's work. And oftentimes I hear people say, I can't find it. I can't see it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to see what God is doing. And I want to tell you, we've talked about some ways that you can do it. Pattern, reminding yourself, engaging things that remind us about God's work, God's presence, God's power, God's protection. When we lose track of it, recognize the fires and and what they are and, and always look at God's mercy and grace. But really, this is not just an academic thing. This is a spirit thing. This is a thing that your soul needs to open up to the work of the Spirit of God so that you can be reminded of His work and you can live in the reality of His goodness. So I'm going to close today in this way. I'm going to, and my invitation is going to be for you to talk to God about His work in your life. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads right where you are, close your stuff up, and just settle in before the Lord for, for just a minute. And I'm going to ask you to start by just taking a few moments in the quietness of your soul to rehearse God's presence and power and provision and guidance in your life. Where has God shown up? Where has He provided? Where has He protected? Where has He given you strength? Just take a few moments and talk to God. Lord, I remember. Lord, thank you. Lord, I see you. Maybe in these moments you need to just turn your attention toward His grace and mercy in your life. Lord, I did these things and you forgave me. Lord, these blessings you've poured out into my life, these promises you've given me, this life in my soul, 
you have been good, so good. Your work is good. Your work is what I want because of what I've tasted from you. Maybe you need to remember what he's already taught you. Lord, these lessons, (laughs) remind me about them. And then one more thing I want to ask you to do. Ask the Lord to help you find the ways you need so these things stay in your mind and in your soul. Ask Him to help you remember what you need to remember so you can face what He's called you to. Lord, show me. Show me how to hold on to this in my life. Lord, you are constantly doing a work in your people. Your very nature drives you to it. We, we don't beg you for it and convince you into it. You do it because you are good, because you love us, because you are for us, because we're yours. But Father, it is sometimes so hard for us to see it, to keep our eyes on it. Our eyes are just prone to wander off of you and your work and on to so many other things and then how quickly we drift off course, how quickly we find ourselves in places that you don't want for us, we don't want for us, but we can't even quite figure out how we got there. So Father, remind us of your goodness. Give us patterns where we can hold on to them. If there are fires burning in people's lives and your purpose is to wake them up so that they will turn back to you, Father, help them turn back today just by faith trusting in your mercy and your grace and help us as your people live in confidence of our god who rises up and goes before us that your 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 enemies flee before you that your power is for us and that your presence is with us that you love us, that you care for us, that we are precious to you. Let your church rise up in this. Let the enemy not be able to distract our eyes from these truths and that soil out of which life grows, a life that is connected and fulfilled, whole and healed by being yours day in and day out. Father, do this in us. Help us to understand what it means to live in this reality, in these truths, this day and this week. Send us from this place to be lights and salt in this world, to witness to the goodness and greatness of our God, and that there is so much more about this life than what we normally live for and what people are all concerned about. Help us to live like there is heaven, like there is a Savior, like there is redemption, like there is healing. Help us to live for you as we go from this place. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.